From Chicago, welcome to Three Degrees Discussions. I'm your host, Mike Vasquez. This is a podcast devoted to the stories behind the innovators, entrepreneurs, and leaders in the 3D printing industry. I guess that, that's uh, part of the journey, isn't it? Is identifying this uh, kind of families of products. So we certainly have all this metal substitution topic with small brackets, hinges, which we'll find in high-performance application, high-performance, we would say, in the aerospace and space, what typically you see out of aluminium or titanium. That's certainly very interesting for us to challenge. That was Yannick Willman. Yannick is into innovation and the technology topics with deep experience in the composite and advanced materials field. He has both an engineering degree in mechanics and an MBA in entrepreneurship. During his 13 years at SGL Carbon, he acquired both composites and managerial experience through his roles in R&D, sales, procurement, and innovation strategy. In January 2020, he joined 9T Labs as head of marketing and business development. He joins the show today to talk about composite manufacturing and 3D printing. Before we get started, head over to www.3degreescompany.com and subscribe to the podcast. Remember, you can listen to the show anywhere you download your podcasts, including Spotify, Apple, Amazon, or Stitcher. All right, Yannick, so great to be with you today virtually, um, another one of our European podcasts. So can you what, maybe start by where are you at right now and uh, what are you up to? Kind of give a little intro on kind of what you're doing now with, sure. uh, with 9T. Sure, and thanks for hosting me today. And yeah, my name is Yannick background as a composite engineer and we'll come back to that certainly uh, later on in the discussion i started last year at 90 labs so 90 labs has been founded 2018 so it's a bit more than three years back now with a focus on um, actually making automation um, easily accessible in composite manufacturing and uh, through the journey of the company then um, 3D printing was identified as a key pillar to get there, to get into uh, automating high-performance parts production. And yeah, now, as per today, we are over 30 person in the organization, big software team, a machine building team, of course, because we have two machines in the portfolio. And of course, a whole commercial team looking for applications and also educating and supporting our first customers. Awesome. So you're a composites engineer. So what does that mean for people who may not be familiar with kind of that um, realm of, of study or that part of the industry? I guess composites is uh, not that new, but still compared to metals is um, very new when you look at the history. Also, of course, we know composites products a lot from aerospace in the industrial field from all the hypercar, supercar, sports in general, wherever high performance is necessary. But still, I would say um, one big topic is um, the automation because it's still related a lot with uh, manual labor, at least for a big part of the production nowadays. And what does it mean being a composites engineer? Of course, I mean, we have an engineering background, most of us in the company in this field and or experience in different markets. 
And maybe here what is relevant compared to 3D printing or additive manufacturing is basically composites has always been additive manufacturing because it's really about stacking textiles one over the other and then getting these stacks to be bonded together in a correct way to sustain high loads over time. So all these, uh, say, problematics or challenges in 3D printing are also say similar in the composite world and therefore i guess it's very interesting to work at the convergence of these uh, two fields matching the materials and the new way of uh, laying them down basically and generally when we think of composites it's some sort of like you said textile either most likely carbon fiber some sort of woven carbon fiber sheet that you stack on top of each other with an epoxy or some sort of fiberglass. And, and so my kind of general kind of understanding or kind of where I bucket it is, it's usually high strength, kind of you can do bigger parts like airplanes and fuselages and things like that, but you get kind of the weight um, uh, weight advantages versus a, a, a metal product and, and higher strength than a conventional just polymer product and maybe higher temperature is that kind of a good way to bucket it yeah i guess i mean what is very interesting and maybe uh, to to summarize we always speak about isotropic and anisotropic properties so composites because they have fiber orientation which can bring you different properties in different orientations in your parts are considered as anisotropic per definition which is also the case for some metals now when we 3D print them because we can also generate anisotropy through geometry, not only through materials. But um, yeah, I would say you summarize well, it's a lot about textile, let's say half products or raw materials. And then of course you can select carbon fiber are famous, glass fiber, there's a lot of applications there's multiple other fibers. There's a huge trend now in natural fibers because of the sustainability topic uh, with pros and cons and materials to be uh, still, I guess, yeah, pushed to their limits and identified for specific applications. But um, it's, there's also a limitation when you use textiles. Basically, you are looking for, of course, high performance means sustain high loads while being very lightweight. So I would say that's the main USP of composites versus metals is uh, being lightweight while offering the same resistance. It's not the only USP. There's some specific markets like medical where lightweight is less of a topic and other characteristics are um, requested or required. But yeah, in general, you have this... Um, these textiles, which have a certain fiber volume content, this fiber ratio, basically how much fiber do you have in, in your matrix? And that's what we wanted to challenge also, because there is, um, the limitation is basically on material efficiency. If you need 60% fibers at one point, which is highly loaded, then you will have 60% fibers in your whole layer just by definition, because you use a textile as a, as a stack. What we want to do is really place the filament, let's say, not, not single fibers, but the filaments, where it's necessary to sustain the load and reduce the fiber or even 
remove it where it's not necessary to really use the least amount of fiber for the same amount of performance. And this has two reasons. First, it's material efficiency per se. So you just use less resources because producing fibers is pretty energy incentive. And you also reduce costs by uh, direct consequence. And I've had the chance of, okay, I think one of my first jobs was working uh, at a company called Eastman Sporting Goods, where we were making fiber layup baseball bats and hockey sticks. So I've seen the, the process of hand laying up carbon fiber or bromandrel and how long it takes and the very kind of manual nature of it. So the concept of trying to automate that is, I think, has a lot of potential. You see there's kind of other companies in kind of 3D printing space trying to, to do similar things with, with composites. But can you speak a little bit kind of specifically to what 9T Labs is doing and maybe how you got involved with, with them? Sure. Yeah, I mean, yes, the additive manufacturing of uh, composites is not totally new. I mean, there's big names. Um, let's name Mark Forge, there's Arivo, and then there's newcomers, or it's a new concept like Aries composites and so on. What is definitely um, common between all our companies is that we really look at the entire value chain, maybe not the, the material side, depending on the companies, but we certainly go into software very heavily because if we want to move beyond the textile composites or the textile-based composites, we need to redesign parts very differently. And then, of course, we all want to validate as much as possible within the virtual framework. Because especially if you go into serial part production and you don't focus on one-offs, you want to avoid doing many loops, many iterations for, I mean, if it's not necessary, so that tapping into this uh, typical simulation tools is very interesting from the design to simulation and iterating here. So that's certainly something we are really looking at in depth and we are partnering with ENSYS, uh, for example, on this simulation topic to really go far in the virtual validation. We call it virtual prototyping. And afterwards, it's really about looking at how do you build up the, the business model? I mean, that was a big topic at 9 Labs at the beginning of the journey is to say, if we want to really produce serial parts using this technology, but also mixing it with other ones, we need to, um, to think about the business model because just basing it on consumables like materials, what is, let's say, a pretty classic way to run the business model nowadays in 3D printing, is not really scalable because if your material is way too expensive, it's not going to be um, economically interesting. So we also had to think about how to source material to get high performance, to have the quality, which is expected, uh, consistency, while having also costs as low as possible. So that's uh, certainly also a big differentiator compared to our competitors. We don't do material in-house. We work with industrial uh, material providers like Akima and uh, others on the market. We source tapes and we use tapes to make a filament. 
but that, me that means that any uh, customer, if they have some uh, qualified certified materials, they can basically use those materials and the machine will be adapted or the machine parameters can be adapted to their supply chain. And then afterward, and that's also a key differentiator, is really the performance level of the parts. We don't see it feasible now for CL parts to have a consistency and high performance compared to classical, I would say, um, composites out of the printer. So we still see too much porosity and some interlaminar issues so that we feel comfortable only to go into this field of CL power production if we post-consolidate. So that's why we use a post-consolidation process. And of course, it has some downsides because you need tooling again and maybe limits a bit your design freedom. However, there is enough applications which we can provide a good solution for competing against metals or composites and really having this automation and uh, high level performance. And I guess that's uh, a lot about the end performance. It doesn't help if I have full freedom, but I cannot reach the performance at the end. So talk about that post-processing step. Is that kind of like a, a heat treatment or pressing? What, yeah. what, what, how does yeah, that I mean, basically, uh, we were very pragmatic here because we saw in situ consolidation based on the thermoplastics we are using is not feasible or not economically interesting if you spend that much energy and time in printing. At the end, it's not really interesting. So rather use um, 3D printer as a really good preforming machine, basically being material efficient, low waste, high degree of freedom to lay down your filaments. And then to reach the performance level expected in composites in general, to use compression molding. Basically what we do afterward is compression molding. We use a mold, of course, a metal mold because it's CL part production. It's not a big deal economically. And we can use several, um, let's say, specific item points from thermoplastics. So when we consolidate, of course, we reduce porosity. So we can go below 1%, which is then also giving you the long-term long performance of the parts if you have low porosity. But what we are also doing is we integrate inserts. So you often have this metallic inserts which are necessary at the connection points between brackets and bigger structural parts so we can integrate them in the mold so that when it comes out it's already there and uh, last but not least we do a lot of thermoplastic welding means there is some complex parts like this one and this is a helicopter door hinge and here you have a specificity you need fibers in three directions but per se, we can only print in 2D. So what we do in the, already in the software, we are actually making subparts out of these final parts. We print simple flat shapes and with a specific mechanical interlock, we can then bring that, these different parts together like a puzzle, weld them in the same process and we consolidate and then the parts come out like that. 
and they are ready to use. I mean, you might do some finishing, some uh, travelization, but um, yeah, I guess that's a specificity also of using this post process to increase uh, functionality. So can we dig into like, so I've got a couple questions on more, maybe more the technical side, but um, when you, so you use the, the printer to essentially make kind of a preform that's, right. it, it's somewhat consolidated. It's not fully consolidated. There's still mm -hmm. porosity. Yeah. So when you go to do the compression step, I imagine, I mean, dimensions are going to change, right? So as you, you're melting it again in, in theory and, and kind of getting to the point where you're compressing it, but do you have special kind of calculations that you have to do to say like a scaling factor essentially? So if I want a three millimeter part, I actually have to print it three and a half millimeters because I know that it's going to shrink. And is that based on geometry? Like how does that work? Yeah. I mean, there's certainly um, a lot to know because of course you are actually you need to design your parts based on the end tolerances, and then you need to know how should it come down uh, out of the printer to be then consolidated and get the final part. So one big advantage is we don't add or lose material over the entire process. Means that's already giving you an idea about scaling. But of course, depending on geometry, it's um, not only about the material you are printing, but it's also a lot about how you will design the molds, because this kind of parts needs some um, some molds with a mechanism which can also actually consolidate in the x axis, not only in z direction. So you have some sliders in the molds. So that's also um, some know-how we had to build up internally. But of course, and that's why we also decided to um, have the design software, to have our own printer, but also the own press or let's say fusion module afterwards. That's how we call the post-consolidation module because this enables us to centralize the data from the process simulation side and the product simulation. So we can really merge all this data as the different steps and create kind of product families. I mean, this would be one cluster being the brackets, which are, when you look at the simple flat parts, very, uh, very easy. And you have different families of products with specific geometries. And it's kind of a learning process also to establish these uh, parameters, let's say the shrinkage parameters. Yeah, and I suppose you have, I mean, that varies with material, right? I think you have like a PA, like a, a nylon carbon and then a, a PEC carbon, which yep. PEC you're getting up into 340, 350C kind of for for processing. Yeah, so exactly. does your press also, I mean, I guess you have to have a heated press to to consolidate at that, that time. I mean, the press is certainly applying temperature and pressure. And you always have to look in thermoplastics at your fusion temperature, as you said, and PEC. You want to go to 380 degrees Celsius, PA 12, way uh, below that. But it's also about the different crystallization points. So going up, of course, but certainly going down because you want to avoid any stresses in the material. So the cooling rates are super important. If not, if you machine it afterward, which is often the case for the final finish, 
then you will create cracks basically and then you know that you have created internal stresses because you didn't respect uh, the cooling rates and so on so that's why we say our system is open because it, we see it as mandatory if you want to move into industrial cereal production but it's not like you take a spool of any material any fiber any polymer and you put it in and it prints cereal part production but as all cereal um, processes you need of course to adapt the parameters to verify the parameters of the machine for specific materials which is not a big deal yeah. if you want to produce a few thousand parts you are right. going to do the effort either way and as you have kind of evolved the technology as well as the software mm-hmm. how is your evolution of thinking in terms of identifying the right business cases or serial parts to produce like what's kind of your your bread and butter so like generally flat parts or kind of parts you may have kind of well simple welds to but kind of is there a thinking that or kind of thesis that you have in terms of how do we find the right customers or right industries that would use this or could be someone that could be convinced to use it yeah, I mean, I, I guess that, that's uh, part of the journey, isn't it? Is identifying these uh, kind of families of products. So we certainly have all this metal substitution topic with small brackets, hinges, which you will find in high performance application, high performance, we would say in the aerospace and space, what typically you see out of aluminum or titanium. That's certainly very interesting for us to challenge. And I would say for the aerospace field, some interior parts, looking at uh, seat supports and still, I mean, all the yeah, aerospace, say mainly we are challenging metals. Then other fields like medical, very different USPs. We usually don't challenge metals. We challenge established composites, which are definitely not efficient. They really, as a comparison, most of the parts we are now printing for medical. We don't speak about implants now. We speak about surgical uh, instruments and so on. They are milled out of full blocks. means often we see 70-80% of waste from milling. And this is milling fiber material. So you have also high tooling costs behind that. Why do they use tooling? Like, why do they use carbon fiber for medical tooling? It seems. Yeah, I mean, that's super interesting because in medical, I would say weight is nice, but it's not the key topic. I mean, weight is certainly interesting if you are a surgeon and you have to hold an instrument for a while or for robots assisting surgeons because then it's higher precision, less energy and so on. But mainly the, the topic now is when you re- when you're looking at medical uh, health uh, care in general is really about costs in general over the the entire journey of your patient so if you want to reduce its cost you are going to go more and more in less invasive surgery so you don't want to open the body to see inside you will do a small cut and then with special tools you are still able to place in a very precise manner whatever is necessary, be it screws or an implant. And so that's where the field of um, medical instruments 
is super interesting. And why do you need composites? I mean, first, to check if it's well positioned during the surgery, you will have, you will scan or x-ray at certain points of time to see if it's well uh, located. And if you x-ray, you want radiolucent materials because if you use metals and you want to see through, it's going to create an artifact on your image and you might miss an important element and a screw might not be at the place where it should be and you will not see it. So you're looking for radiolucent. So plastics are super good for that. So of course you say, okay, then if plastics are good, why do you use then fiber reinforced plastics, because those tools, I mean, they are sometimes in direct contact with the body, sometimes not, but they still are regulated heavily. They need to be sterilized from one patient to the other. And sterilization cycle, I mean, they often happen in autoclaves. There is different ways. You can also use um, other processes, but mostly in autoclave, you heat up to 135 degrees Celsius in a high humidity chamber. And here you have two topics. You don't want to actually take up any humidity, any moisture in your structure. So you need really low porosity and you don't want to have elongation of your material over time because you have tight tolerances. There is holes inside to place some, uh, some screws or other, other items. And to avoid this elongation over time, you just place fibers because they are allowing you to actually create yeah, near to zero um, CTE, basically. So no dilatation of the material. And that's why they use composite today. But uh, we would say with a very inefficient process where additive manufacturing can definitely show um, some big advantages on costs and development time. Awesome. So can you speak a little bit about kind of your story? Like kind of what was the actual story that like, how did you start working with 90 labs or what, what was like the, like the origin of, of all of that relationship? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I come from this traditional composite field. So I spent 13 years at uh, SGL carbon, which is manufacturer in this field over the entire value chain. There's really, SGA carbon is going from the precursor of the carbon fibers up to final products you can find in planes, in cars, in um, yeah, windmills and so on. And here at the end, I was leading the innovation strategy department. And of course, we were looking I mean, in terms of materials into alternative materials like more biosource topics and all the sustainability topic also to how to actually have a positive impact over your entire life cycle, but also a lot about um, automation. What are the new technologies coming? How is the software converging with hardware and with the products at the end? And of course, during uh, my investigation, I was a lot in contact with startups all over the world. And I really liked what I saw because of course it was uh, it's really meant to be the future. But at a certain point of time, I decided, okay, let's shape the future and not wait for it. <laughs> because then um, that's way faster in startups. And that's where you can really push the boundaries 
and certainly it's more difficult in corporates to start um, uh, thinking about converging hardware and software when you have only be hardware oriented for over 100 years, isn't it? So that's uh, how actually I really looked into this field and then um, I had this opportunity to start here at 90 Labs. And uh, yeah, it has been a great journey. I mean, from beginning of last year, having a better product and thinking with industrial designer about how to shape machines and now having machines running, of course, still not producing tens of thousands of parts, but uh, getting there, able to produce a few hundred to a few thousand parts with some machines, which is totally uh, sufficient for many markets, what we are targeting. Luxury, sports, has a lot of those applications with these volumes. And of course, approaching through the premium segment, I would say learning fast and then applying all these learnings into more regulated fields like aerospace and medical, where the journey is a bit different because you have to find, say, big OEMs to uh, co-certify or to really make sure that your process is uh, robust enough to serve their requests. And do you imagine that the business model for the company is to sell machines and kind of your software platform or to kind of be a essential contract manufacturer that exclusively uses the carbon fiber or the, the composite technology that you've developed? Yeah, yeah I mean, there's certainly a, so the answer, what we want, where we want to go is really sell the, the solution. So this entire package, let's say software, printer and post-consolidation technology. But on the way to get there, of course, there's early adopters, maybe research centers, R&D centers, which will buy a machine and do some trials. But a lot of industrial customers, they really want a proof of concept, isn't it? They really want to see there's a real part. They just don't want your typical sample. They want their part to be printed. And of course, to print a part, you need to go into redesign. And so it's a lot about those projects, I would say, where you are educating while making a proof of concept at the end. You really want to deliver a solution. Maybe it's not the last version, which will at the end go into a serial part production, but you can really showcase what is... Um, the opportunity. So here we, in this case, we would go up to producing a few parts for sure. But this includes, of course, also doing the engineering. So engineering is certainly on the long term also a big topic in terms of revenue. Because we have the software side. So here you have the recurring revenue, which is uh, pretty classic, I would say, as a in a business model. Then you have all the engineering component starts with material selection and really increasing the speed from idea to production. But also, of course, designing your molds, which is not evident if you have never done it before. And um, yeah, getting, because yeah, the goal is really to get the manufacturers, I mean, beat the OEMs if they really decide to reintegrate production or the tier one suppliers. To, um, to use it because it's meant to be easy, but still there is, of 
basics and composites you need to know and we uh, don't want to just have machines like in a museum having nice features but never running and and a few times you've mentioned the topic of sustainability and so kind of what you're thinking around there is it new fibers and and what would like are those like cellulosic fibers or or other fibers i'm not thinking of in terms of kind of how to be sustainable when it comes to composite manufacturing yeah i mean sustainability is a big topic i mean in the past i was also responsible for life cycle assessments in the industry so it's a very complex topic and what looks sustainable is not always as sustainable as uh, what somebody would think so and um, it starts first with being efficient i guess that's a key point for additive manufacturing is per se because it's not subtractive we save material from the beginning on so even though of course there will be some remachining at the end on those preforms it's still way more efficient and producing less waste than typical processes and also using less fibers because you can really place it where you want is per se more sustainable then of course we look with those uh, material suppliers on what is possible to get at industrial quality as alternative products if they make sense for the final application so here you can think about of course on the polymer side how to source the more sustainable polymers but also on the fiber side i mean one thing is of course, you can replace carbon fiber with basalt or some natural um, say, fibers in general. But you can also actually produce a very sustainable carbon fiber. So you can use different precursors. For now, a lot of precursors are actually petrol-based, so say not that sustainable. But you could source a carbon fiber based on a, say, on a precursor coming from algaes or from cellulose, lignin, from wood. So that is certainly something which exists. It's not easy to scale, but in 3D printing, we don't need a lot of material to get to the end product. So that's certainly some interesting test field for the big material manufacturers to really test the entire value chain up to the end part and, and its performance with low volumes and then see if it's worth investing in scaling up the volumes and of course then you have all your alternative uh, natural fibers which are also interesting either for the function or for the aesthetics or the hybrid of both and where where are you seeing your some of your customers or interests starting to rank sustainability in terms of okay there's general cost is like is it cost competitive do I get better mechanical properties or tolerances or sustainability? Are there, is that calculus changing in terms of what you're seeing in terms of how do you, how you sell your, the value of your technology or the potential to maybe use some of these sustainable fibers or give different, different properties than they may be used to. Is there any like shifting in like how people, purchase or, or think about their future supply chain and future manufacturing? I guess here we see different times of, uh, types of procurement strategies or strategies in general. It's a, it's, with consumer products, 
is also part of the marketing. And I don't say that in a negative uh, term, it's really part of what the customers are buying through an object. I mean, let's take, we are supplying also premium watchmakers or luxury watchmakers. And there, actually, the technology and the material are always part of the marketing message or often, especially when they take new materials in the portfolio. So for gold, they are not going to pitch the material origin, but if they take composites or wood and so on, they will always make the, show the entire journey behind that. And if it's 3D printed, it's also going to be part of the message and so on. So, and those markets are certainly influencing also people working in the industry because at the end it's people, isn't it? So, um, in the industry, I guess on the higher volumes, it's really about the either the penalty if they don't use sustainable materials, what is the downside? So that's certainly something we see through regulations over the years. What can happen if you really have, if you are fined because you are over a certain limit, then you will fight against this fine and try to, to balance out the costs and the reward. But of course, it's going to be centered on costs because if you do scaling activities and you cannot ask for premium margins, then at the end, you have to do it at costs and then it's about volumes behind. And that's a bit difficult in 3D printing. So I guess there's still some acceptancy to, um, uh, to pay a bit more for the products because it's new. But there is also a high expectation on how does it scale over years. And we always get this uh, this question: buying one machine having a very, I mean, pretty low output compared to old processes or established processes is accepted. But if they say, okay, we want to buy 200 of your machines in five years once it's certified, then they really want to know. How much can you push the, the output? And of course, how much can you squeeze the costs? And that's whatever the balance at the end, it's about economics, but that's also how regulators should work on the sustainability topic. Because it, it won't come just because it's, uh, it's nice and sexy. Are you guys mostly serving the European market at the moment or do you have... Uh, yeah, I mean, clear targets uh, is Europe, European market because it just makes sense if you need to support heavily. And I guess the last year has, has shown that it's not always that easy to travel. So um, being regional has some pros for sure. And Europe is really big as in terms of markets so to grow as an organization with a new technology is certainly um, good enough. And then you can always uh, think about expansion. And of course, if you think about expansion, North America is uh, a huge market, very interesting, with uh, a lot of established technologies and innovators. And so as we kind of wrap up the, the conversation here today, where can people find out more information? We'll put your, your uh, website up on, on the link when we, we post all this, but we be at, at form next, or are there any webinars or things that we should keep an eye out for? Yeah, sure. I mean, 
website is um, is classic. You can certainly always use that as a central platform. There we will also communicate about webinars or events where we'll take part of. So um, I guess next big things are Sampi Europe is one of the biggest composite community and it will take place in Zurich this year. So it's super nice. We will also offer a visit to our location to anybody uh, coming to Zurich for this event. We will, of course, be part of uh, Form Next. I guess it's our second biggest fair normally. Jack Composites is our biggest fair because we rather approach the whole topic from the composite side and from the 3D printing side. But um, yeah, Form Next, we really hope it will happen this year. And we will be in US actually at uh, ChemX having a presentation and having at least one person on site. So certainly trying already to, to connect with, uh, with the US. Also, we are also, we are already having contacts with big companies there. Yeah, and then of course, LinkedIn is a big platform where we share a lot of uh, news and dailies and weekly news. And we are always open to be contacted for any question or being challenged. I guess there's a great community, very active there. And it's uh, worth having a look in it. Fantastic. Well, Yannick, thank you so much for joining the show today. I really enjoyed the conversation and best of luck as the technology continues to develop. Love to kind of keep keep up to date on everything. So hopefully you can get back on the behind the microphone in a in a few months or in a year or so and hear all your successes. Sure. Thanks, Mike, and thanks really for pushing the education. I guess that's always great to have a platform where we can discover different ideas, point of views. And at the end, it's still about shaping a market. For sure. All right. Well, have a great day and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye-bye.